What's up, everybody? Welcome to another edition of the Surf and Sales podcast. I'm your host, Scott Lease, here with my good friend and co-host, Richard Harris. And we are closing out the month of April here. And uh, we've been brought to you this month by uh, Salesforce Sales Cloud. Salesforce Sales Cloud. It changed us a little bit. Salesforce Sales Cloud. And uh, Gong.io, total game changer. You should check out Gong.io and uh, lead411.com. We appreciate their support for helping us put the show on and bring you some of our fabulous guests. And we have a unique guest today. Uh, this man is an international keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, entrepreneur, board member, and perhaps most interestingly, customer success manager over at SailPoint and was also a customer success manager at GoDaddy slash Main Street Hub, although we didn't work there at the same time. So uh, we're really excited to talk to you today, and uh, it's Sam P. Lark Jr., everybody. Welcome to the show, Sam. Thank you, Scott. Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me on. Well, I'm really excited to talk to you about customer success management, because we haven't had very many people on the show, Richard, um, Correct. are in the customer success field, let alone somebody who's like, you know, in the trenches still totally agree. actively as an individual contributor, uh, you know, working in customer success. So it's going to be a lot, it's going to be a lot of fun. So Sam, how did you decide, well, let's go all the way back, right? Mm -hmm. Did you choose sales revenue goals, sales revenue careers? Like, is that what you wanted to do? Were you always the kid, you know, I sold candy in school, you know, behind the teacher's back. Like, were you that kid? Like where, where did it all come from for you? Well, I think it primarily right now, I had an overarching need to eat, so I needed to get a job. But going back further, um, I was always into public speaking. Uh, I started out my career as a 13-year-old at a mom and pop shop, Mom's Bakery in Philly. That's where I'm originally from, the East Coast. And I walked with my head down. I was very introverted, didn't have a lot of confidence. But the two husband and wife, Mr. and Mrs. Bell, they saw something in me. So they spoken to me. They, they encouraged me. Pick up your head when you walk. Look people in the eye when you talk so they could take you seriously. And they must have saw something in me that I had no clue was there. But after their tutelage for about four years, <laughs> you could come into the bakery and ask for directions. I could have you walking out with cinnamon buns and a tile from off the floor. I just had to gift the gab. So, all right, let's do that. So let, let me add, this is awesome. Um, but have you, you know, I, I hope they're still around since I was a young, are they still around? At this time, no. Uh, they both passed on, but thankfully, you know, the legacy of everything they yeah. taught me, you know, yeah. goes it on. It'd be with a fun them. question to see what they what they saw in you, right? <laughs> Just it's always cool to see those things. So I walk into the bakery. Scott walks mm -hmm. into the bakery. You know, what are you going to say? How, what was your pitch? I want to hear your pitch as a thirteen year old kid selling donuts. <laughs> hey, Scott. Hey, Richard. How you doing today? Is there yeah, anything that I can help you with? It's just honestly being friendly at the end of the day. And I like to say people like to do business with those they like, know, and trust. When well, order for someone to first get to trust you and to know you, they will like you. They have to get to know you. So you just be personable, be genuine, authentic, unapologetically authentic. Gary V, for instance, we all know him as pretty much no filter, in your face, he'll tell you what he means and means what he says. That's him. If that's just who you are, just be that. And people can respect that. Or if they don't like that, then they go the other way. 
I'm not one that likes to cater to people. I, I still have to work on that. But I, I know in some companies, they want to cater to these and uh, companies, these customers, like, oh, gosh, we got to bend over backwards to keep this customer. Some customers don't need to be kept. Yeah. So you just need to cut ties. So at the end of the day, I'm saying all this to say, be you unapologetically authentic. That's really my pitch. It's all about building those genuine relationships. I want to know more about this. Uh, no, kind of know when to let go of uh, a bad customer. You know, I've, I've, I've written about this before, um, you know, kind of firing a bad customer. What, what does some of that criteria look like? I mean, you're active practitioner, uh, you know, in customer success management. How do you know when, how do you know when somebody has crossed the line and become a bad customer and one we should be okay with letting go of? Uh, so of course, as we all know in corporate, some things are just not up to you. As an individual contributor, I can't necessarily fire a customer, which on the other hand, when I start my own thing, oh, trust and believe, I'll be very meticulous about who I work with. Anywho, I think the criteria should be, depending on how much they bring in, annual recurring revenue and all of that, are they necessarily causing you to spend more work hours, more stress, and more, uh, honestly, resources than yeah. they actually bring in? So if it's not a win-win on both sides, then it's not beneficial. I have in the past some customers, bad taste in my mouth, like they're just horrible people, number one. And in all honesty, I don't know if I can say this or not, so you may have to bleep me, but I don't want to work with assholes. Yeah. At the end of the day, I don't want to work with somebody who I dread talking to. So as I said, in corporate, as an individual contributor, you don't really have a whole lot of say-so on who you can and can't work with and fire. But if it's me and something I'm building on my own, I want to work with those that I'm excited to work with. They're amicable. You know, they can have requirements and requests, but if we have a conversation where we properly set the expectations of whatever service I'm bringing, and then we can meet in the middle, then I'm cool. It's no problem. I'm fine with, you know, a little bit of conflict and negotiation. It's okay. Conflict is okay. But at the end of the day, respect has to be a pillar. You're, going to, you're not going to call me out my name. You're not going to yell at me. You know, those are things that just, no, it's just about being a good person. So in business, if you can't be a respectable person and respect that person that's working with you and have the mindset that you're working with them, not they're not working for you, that's a whole nother topic. So and I think we can work with it. Let's talk about that bigger customer, right? Like it is one of your, let's say it's one of your top five customers revenue wise. Okay. Um, and Scott said something about my mic not being good. So if it's bad, let me know. But um, how do you go back? Because, you know, you're right. You know, you can't make that decision on your own. Mm. How do you go back and, I don't know if the word is convince your leadership team, but get them to understand that this is not good, right? How do you say that? What kind of, what kind of objections might you hear from your leadership team for mm. those who are listening? And then how do we, what would you coach them to say? Some of the objections are, and I've heard this in the past, you know, well, we want to find the yes. You know, we want to, you know, make sure that we're able to give them value. If they see value, then maybe they'll be more uh, communicative or they'll be a little more coachable. I would say, on the other hand, I would just come back at them and say, is this worth all of our effort? 
Because at the end of the day, depending on the industry you're in, say, for instance, I was in mainstream hub social media. I was just pretty much the liaison as a customer success manager. You're the face of the company, right? You're the one that goes to bat for all of the other multifaceted teams, whether it's product, engineering, content, however you may have it in your organization. If this one customer is causing extra work on all of these other people, and at the end of the day, they're not necessarily bringing in, I think, something that's equating to, you know, the amount of work they're causing. So it's time you, to really look at that. Let's go the other way real mm-hmm. quick, which is you have that difficult customer. How do you, how do you try to have that, you know, that conversation? It is often uncomfortable, right? Like sometimes mm-hmm. the soft skills are the hard skills, right? right. And again, I'm giving, I'm, you know, trying to give context to the listeners of like, oh, I could try that. Honestly, you just have to be upfront, upfront, like, hey, I really want to be here for you. Number one, if you have any kind of issues, first of all, I always like to call control. So I let them speak, I let them vent, and then I say, hey, this is what I hear. Okay, da 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 da. da. I summarize. I repeat it back to them. Is this accurate? Then they say, yes. Cool. This is the game plan, and this is what we can do within our services to actually do our best to meet what you're looking for. So I do my best to, number one, let them know that they've been heard and that they are fine with however they feel. Then so what, do you do with, what do you do with that customer who, to your point, is just a mm-hmm. jerk, right? He's an asshole. Honestly, after I come with them and do all those things, I'll have to bring in management and like, hey, something needs to happen. At the end of the day, flip side. If you're working for a corporation, number one, you're not working for a corporation. You need to think of your uh, career as you're the CEO of your own career. I'm the CEO of Sam Pilar Jr. So yes, I work for Cellpoint, but at the end of the day, I work for my wife. I work for my family. So if a job is causing me to have unnecessary stress where I can't show up 100% in my personal life, something needs to happen in that professional because we we've heard separate your personal and your professional there's no way that you could really separate it in my opinion because what happens in the personal affects the professional what happens in the professional affects the personal so therefore i said all that to say i need to bring to management like hey either this customer has to go to somebody else because i've tried this this and this and they're still not helping because this is not beneficial to me and my own mental health or we just need to figure something else out. So it comes to the point where you have to think of yourself, number one, first. And I've been in this situation in previous companies where I didn't have support to you know, help me with these customers that were just ridiculous, like asking for things way outside the scope. And they're only paying a really nominal fee per month. I'm like, come on, are you serious? You're asking for something that... Uh, <laughs> A, pers- a, a professional firm would, you know, be offering, whereas we're just a, you know, startup. So pretty much I would have to deal from the personal perspective. Is it going to be beneficial for my mental health? If not, then, hey, support. I mean, the leadership has to step in. If not, it's time for me to look elsewhere. One of the things, Sam, that I think salespeople are always thinking, if they're not saying, is um, how hard is Sam my my CS team member fighting to save you know my deal from from canceling um and one of the things that I always said to my salespeople was well how good of a relationship do you have with your your CS uh you know kind of team 
right? How, how, how have you gone across the aisle and tried to build, you know, trust there and whatnot? So what are some things from um, a customer success perspective that an SDR or an AE listening or even a sales manager could do to uh, have a better relationship with people on the customer success team and, and, and make your job easier? Communication it, and every organization is different. And I like that you brought this up because I love building relationships to the point where take a step back and I'll come back to that. When I left GoDaddy, I actually created a farewell video because I was there for five years, five years between GoDaddy and Main Street Hub. And I'm all about reaching out and connecting to people. I've reached out to people I don't even work with, you know, people in other states and other countries because I just like to get to know people. Uh, I've heard a saying, and I think we've all heard it, it's not what you know, but it's who you know when it comes to advancing your career. You two heard that, right? Sure. Well, I've heard in addition to that, it's not what you know, it's not who you know, but it's who knows you when it comes to advancing your career. Because you can know a whole lot of people. Let's take LinkedIn for instance. That's where I met you, Scott. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, just knowing you is beneficial, but you have to get to the point where you know me so that maybe you can provide the necessary connection that I need or the resources or opportunity. So in order to get to know me, I need to have a conversation. It's not just connecting to all these different people, but they know nothing about you. So going back to GoDaddy, I was able to reach out to different ones and really just get to know them and actually be interested. Dale Carnegie said in his book, How to Win Friends and Influence People, to be interesting, be interested. People like to know that you are actually present and taking an interest in what they have going on. It's not just all about you. So to your question, sales managers, AEs, SDRs, pretty much just show an interest in that customer success manager. So for instance, in Main Street Hub, it may have been a different organization type thing. So sales and customer success managers, at one point, they didn't really talk. It was like the iron curtain. At sale point, the cool thing is you work together for the lifetime of that customer. So it's awesome. I, I like that because now I have somebody else that's really vested. Sales is definitely vested in me doing my job well. So they don't, like you said, lose the deal. So coming together, having strategy sessions, seeing how you can both be complementary to each other, you know, interacting with each other, just taking note. I actually have opportunities where I just Slack people. We use Slack as an internal tool and say, hey, how you doing? You know, just want to you know, connect with you. I see we're on the same account. Let's have five, 10 minutes just to chat, just to see who we you know, are, where you're from. What do you like? Things like that. Things that are outside of work, because we're more than just worker bees, so to speak. You know, we have things going on in our lives. And when you show that you are interested beyond just the dollar, I think people will take a lot more note and they'll be willing to bend over backwards. Yeah. <clears throat> the dollar component of the customer success role has, has changed mm. a ton over the years. It's gone from all about keeping dollars to actually bringing in new dollars mm -hmm. as well. Um, how has that adjustment played out, you know, for you? Like, what is it like for a customer success person who maybe doesn't have sales experience, might not even like selling to suddenly and oftentimes have a quota, an upsell quota, an expansion quota on top of things? Um, how, 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 how does somebody without that sales acumen go about getting it? And how do you uh, adjust to that if, if you're, you know, 
if you're in CS and all of a sudden they're asking you to, to upsell and you're like, hold on, I wasn't, I'm not trying to be a salesperson. Right. That's honestly something that I've had to face when I was at Main Street Hub. It initially had that we had a sales component. You had to bring in a certain amount every month in addition to just keeping your revenue. I just had to interact with those that were really good at it. Because for me, I'm not necessarily keen on selling. It depends on the environment too. Because say, for instance, you have a customer that you haven't spoken to for months and all of a sudden now you have to meet this end of the month quota. So you're calling on this person that you haven't spoke to in months and you're just trying to be like, hey, you want to buy? You want to buy? You want to buy? Mm-hmm. People are not less likely to you know, actually put on extra services if they don't even know who you are and have a, having a relationship with you. So for me, I would suggest any customer success manager that's in that kind of situation where they have to now sell, interact with those that are really good. When I first joined Main Street Hub, I looked at who was the top. There were certain people that were at the top that were crushing it every month. I asked them, hey, what did I'm you new. learn, right? Like, what did you learn when you looked at those people that you know you're now doing, right? And I know you're going to, I know part of it is got to build a relationship and you can't call right. them at the end of the month and those kinds of things. But mm-hmm. to your point, like for, for customer success people, they're not necessarily wired to that. Like you, I don't know if you're having to push down the anxiety you have about talking <laughs> about money. I don't know if um, you're like, oh, I, I got over that hump. Like what are the, what oh, are yeah. those things? I got one good piece of advice from my very first manager at Main Street Hub. You got to know how to give enough of a fuck and not enough. Pretty much. And that's the paraphrase. Quote, did you, did you, that's the paraphrase. You like put on a plaque. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that was mine, but that's pretty good. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you got to know how to care just enough, right? Because you don't want to just haphazardly interact with these people. But if a conversation doesn't go well, just off the cuff, not even talking about money, but just a conversation in general. Sometimes we have conversations where it's an escalated customer and it just doesn't go the way that you planned. You did all this work ahead of time, the prep for the call, and it just goes sideways. Take a deep breath and get past it. You got maybe 50 or 80 more customers that you have to talk to. You have to know how to give enough and then keep moving on. So you have to let that stuff roll off. That's key. Some people I've experienced that I've worked with, they cared a little too much to where it affected them into the next call they had and to the next call and the next day and the next week. And then they started bringing that home with them. So you got to know how to care enough, but then push that to the side. So I think that's key, especially if you're now going to be in a more uncomfortable area of selling where you're not necessarily uh, more skilled in that. Yeah. Yeah. What is, what is your thought and what, and what do you know? Like, I don't know the difference uh, between compensation for sales mm-hmm. versus compensation for customer success, upsell, cross-sell. Is there equity there or is there not equity? Honestly, it's above my pay grade. That's probably a question for Scott. <laughs> no, but, but do you, I mean, to your point of like, hey, you know, to Scott's point and what you guys were talking mm-hmm. about, building that relationship across the aisle, you know, is it, is it just not a topic customer success people ask about because you're already uncomfortable about money, do you think? Or is it, you know, you don't want to say anything for where you work? No, <laughs> it depends on the organization, right? Like I was saying with Main Street Hub at one point, they didn't want 
the sales and the customer success to intermingle because of potentially mixed messages. I mean, departments, custom, I mean, organizations, they can all be different. Well, here's, here's, here's a more potentially direct way. And let me see if I can kind of get you to, to get passionate about this a little bit. Like, I think in most orgs, people, people would believe that, you know, if Richard brings in a hundred dollars of new business as a salesperson, He's going to get a shitty sales guy, (laughs) whatever the number is, Richard, a million bucks. Richard brings in a million bucks as a salesperson. Okay. You're a really good salesperson, Richard. Richard has brought in a million dollars. He's going to get paid X amount uh, commission on that. Right. But I think in most organizations, if Sam brings in a million dollars of expansion, new new revenue, upsell revenue, whatever, he's going to get paid Y amount on that. And Y is going to be less than the X that Richard brought in. And so I think it begs the question, like there's a, a compensation gap between people in sales and people in customer success, but the line seems to be blurring a little bit in terms of the, the functions of the role because more customer success people have revenue quotas and things like that. So is it fair or foul in your opinion that CS tends to be paid less we're bringing in revenue than salespeople. From what I've experienced, because I know some salespeople, for instance, they have a ridiculously low base, right? A base pay. Some some may have like 10K, just base that you get that, no problem. And then you have to sell, 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 sell to make up the rest of your say if you want to get to six figures. Whereas customer success have a much higher pay base, and then they can get some things added on based on what they sell. So with that kind of model, which I really don't necessarily care for because it really, it motivates the salesperson to continue to sell. And then when they sell and bring in that new business, yes, they get the higher percentage of what they bring in. But for the customer success manager, it's not much of an incentive to, to upsell because your percentage is much smaller. Right. So should, should that gap be decreased? Should we be paying customer success folks more if we're trying to motivate them to, you know, bring Honestly, in I think sales should stay with sales and uh-huh. customer success should stay with customer success. So for instance, if you see an upsell opportunity, hey, let's have a joint call with your sales rep who talked to you in the very beginning mm-hmm. so that they can introduce you to these new offers. Now, with that being said, that does a couple of things. That lets the sales rep know, number one, you're interested in keeping this customer on and you want to bring more business to that sales rep. So that definitely makes that sales rep feel like, yo, that customer success manager, yeah, they, they, they got my back. So that's not taking any money away from the sales rep. And then also, hopefully, on your end as a customer success manager, it's providing value to that customer and is allowing you to keep that retention, that revenue in your book of business. I think sales should just be separate. Go ahead. Do you think, do you think then that... Which would be harder or easier? Let me rephrase. Is it easier to take a customer service person and teach them how to sell or take a salesperson and teach them how to do customer service, customer success? See, I guess I'm I'm different. It, it, It depends on the person. I know you may not necessarily want to hear that, but honestly, for sales, 
to be like a customer success person. If you're a good sales rep, in my opinion, you know how to build relationships. You know how to have those soft skills or you, you develop those soft skills. Because I think the best sales people are those that know how to read people. They know how to interact with them. They know how to build those relationships, vice versa. Good customer success managers that have to sell, they, they have the same kind of qualities that a sales rep has. So it depends on the person. Honestly, I think anyone can learn how to sell. Anyone can learn, in my opinion, those soft skills. It's just practice. Some people may need more practice than others. Scott, he's, Sam, is, Sam is very good at customer successing his answers. <laughs> That's right. He's very good at <laughs> So, we had to use fine. that customer successing, <laughs> so, uh, which, which is cool. Like it's, and, and which also tells me you're going to be a very good consultant uh, and a public speaker. What? Let, let's shift a little bit. Let's let's come out of customer success if that's all right with Scott. Um, public speaking. What is your goal there? Like, oh man, now that's the topic I love to talk about because that's that's my my heart. I've been doing it since I was ten. So public speaking, I want to be able to get to the point where that's all I do. You know, international, traveling the world, speaking on a continual basis. What are your, that's what, are your what, topics? what do you when when someone wants to yeah, break speaking you? on what? Speaking on what? Pretty yeah. much relationships. At the end of the day, it's all about relationships. One branch of that is pretty much going based off of my experience, how I actually got hired at Main Street Hub. I use social media to get their attention and get hired to the point where they actually found out what I did on Twitter. And they wrote an article about how I got their attention on Twitter and became their first hire for Twitter. That just a really high level overview of what I talk about, but pretty much how to build relationships using like LinkedIn, all these other social media platforms, thinking outside the box, interacting with people, not just applying online, as we call it, the black hole of applications, you know, apply, 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 sit back, fingers crossed, eyes squinted, hoping, putting good vibes in the air that they'll call you back doesn't always happen for everybody. Sometimes you have to go the extra mile to get your foot in the door by interacting with people. That's how I actually got the current job that I have. One of the executives, they knew us, my wife and I, when we first came to Texas about five years ago, my wife and his wife worked together. Well, we stayed friends. And after he got hired, he, from just interaction, he knew I was you know, interested in other opportunities. He said, hey, are you interested? I can you know, apply internally. Sure, why not? That started the interactions. Now, of course, so, you do have to do what people say. But Go ahead. When you talk about relationships and public speaking, right? Are you talking about you want to do more public speaking around the sales and customer success role? You want to be, um, you know, I guess, better question. Personal, professional, certainly can be both. Mm-hmm. What is that? Where's your passion in that? Really the professional just based off of the struggle I had, because you know how they say, uh, you know, you go to school, you get good grades, go to college, graduate, get that degree, go in your chosen field of whatever it is that you got that degree in, 40 years you work there, and then you can retire on that pension and live happily ever after. We know that doesn't work. Yeah. Exactly. So I bought into that because that's what I was told when I, I was coming up. That's what I was told. That's what you do to be successful. But then when after I got out of college, mind you, I have a degree in chemistry, definitely not doing chemistry right now. But I got to the point where I was working in the field and then I relocated to Florida. And all of a sudden, all of that work that I did prior and that degree meant nothing 
And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, how frustrating is that? I spent all that time in school and I've worked in my actual chosen field, which not a lot of people graduating from school do. And yet I find myself unemployed and I was even working minimum wage, two jobs, riding my bike about 17 miles a day just to get to them. So So knowing that struggle that I went through as a college graduate, I want to be able to help others that could be struggling the same way. I mean, I love it. What? I'm just fascinated that you couldn't find it. Was it when you moved to Florida? Was it that they're just the industry wasn't there, meaning that, you know, for you to do the, the engineering that you had or, you know, were you just running into brick walls? Like what was, you know, what was I think it was twofold. I think either the way that I was approaching the job search, because at that time I didn't know what I know now. I wasn't all about the building relationships, interacting, using online to get your foot in the door, right? To interact with the necessary decision makers. So I didn't know the process. I was just applying, 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 applying. So that could be that one. And then two, it seemed like the industry, either I didn't have enough, like I needed a PhD for what I what, what was available and I was not going back to school or right. I had too much education. So I think it was two. I think it was the availability and even my approach. Got it. So then, you, so I, I want to dig into this, right? So then you you did what had to be done, right? You, you took two part-time jobs, if I heard you correctly, or just two Actually, part-time. one was full-time and one was part-time. What were, yeah. what were those roles? So I was working part-time for a, a water filtration company, uh, definitely not on the same caliber of what I was in chemistry. I was doing research, polymer right. chemistry in Philly when I was in my field. But when it was in Florida, it was like a water filtration uh, company. They would take water samples from other uh, local localities and test them. So that was part time. I rode my bike there. And then after that, I rode my bike several other miles, total 17 or 18, something like that, to a manual labor outside, like kind of like a manpower or, you know, like they, right. they contract you, they picking up trash and things. So, yeah, I worked that second shift for full time yeah, and I, I worked every day like seven days a week for a good five months oh. had to do what I had to do I, I don't know that I could do it I mean that's amazing Where I mean, that- it's not amazing no take that back come on man no, people I have done do it. no it's not amazing I mean you, you got to do what you got to do I, mean, I don't want to be you know thought of as oh gosh he did there's people that are doing way more than that at the end of the day you just got to do what you got to do if you have family if you have yourself you got to take care of well i think i think what richard's getting at is like the idea of doing anything physically laboring or manual labor is just and then riding a bike 17 miles a day on top hey i was in good shape too (laughs) accentuating the positive it was a long time ago so you know don't judge don't judge (laughs) don't judge judge. although i did i guess i did struggle once because i lost my job and that's how i met scott so that's how we're here right i had to take a a 50 percent pay cut um that's That's meaning me having to do what i needed to do taking a job that was everybody is different you know from six figures to five figures healthy five or or not a healthy five and no insurance and had just bought a house and a wife and a kid so i i appreciate the the struggle um that you went through, but it's, I certainly didn't struggle that way. So everybody has a different story. Yeah. So what, what are your, how else do you like to give back to the community? I see some, you do some other things um, where you give back to the community. You know, I want to spend a couple of minutes with that and feel free to feel free to name drop the heck out of any nonprofit you're with and all that kind of stuff. So um, talk about that. Cause I know that's a, that's, 
I'll talk about what it is you do there and then why you do it, right? So one uh, nonprofit that I do interact with is Veterati, and that's a V-E-T-E-R-A-T-I. It was a organization created to help veterans and the military community. My wife is an Air Force veteran. So being married to someone that was in the military, I was in, and also of color, I was able to see quite a bit of the struggle, whether it be coming from the military world to the civilian and seeing how hard it is to get something of comparable pay and even leadership level. So I, I want to be able to help, you know, those, whether they be people that are currently serving or they're veterans, they served and they came out or people that are getting ready to come out and then another or military spouses, which I'm one, because number one, you don't really hear too much about a, a male military spouse. You hear military spouse. Most people think, oh, that's the wife. That's the woman. It's not always so. So I'm like a unicorn. And then uh, two, there's a struggle. There's a lot of stereotypes that people in the military have to come against with some companies. You know, they feel like PTSD, like everyone has it that have served or um, a military spouse that has traveled a lot with the military member. They have a very um, disconnected, disjointed resume, so they don't have a whole lot of experience. Not so. You know, these are people that just need to know how to translate their skills and how to interact and get that necessary decision maker on their side so they, they know them well enough that they can properly present them for that opportunity. So that's a passion of mine because it's, it's a family. I've been able to see how close-knit everyone in the military is. And I just have a passion for helping out others in that community. That's awesome. That's awesome. That's really nice. Thank you. And thank you to your wife for, for the service. And were you guys married before she went overseas? or? So ours is a little different. Um, fast rewind. I've known her since I was five. Okay. Um, if you're ever familiar with the movie Love and Basketball with Sanaya Lathan and Omar Epps, I don't know if you yeah. ever saw it. We yeah. tell people that's our love story without the basketball, right? right? So childhood, best friends, uh, growing up, started dating as teenagers. She went off to the military. I stayed home in Philly for about 10 years. We got separated. Come to find out, her brother said, my sister's been asking about you. I'm like, yo, dude, set this up. Get on the phone. She hasn't said a word. To this day, her brother says, I, I swore she's been talking about you. So we just <laughs> chatted it up. Today, we blame him for our successful, loving marriage. Right. But uh, we chatted it up. It was like old times, reminiscing as kids and finding some new things out as adults. The next day, after being on phone for hours, I call early in the morning. I'm on my way to work and I'm apologetic. I'm like, yo, I know we just got off the phone a couple hours ago, but I don't want to lose this. It's like old times. Let's start dating. Holding my breath on my end. She says, sure. I'm doing Roger Rabbit. I'm like, yeah, who the man? You the man. You did that. Yeah, I did that. But I said, cool. You know, I play it cool. She on her end is thinking, <laughs> I don't have anything else better to do. So she took it as a joke. At the time, she was in Jacksonville, Florida, but I was in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, long distance. But a year to the day that we decided to start dating, May 9th, 2012, we got married. She had already been in the military. And by the time we got married, she was actually already reservist. So thankfully, she didn't have those long deployments like many gotcha. traditional I was wondering about. military have. Yeah. What that, a cool story. That's a great story. I love that story. That's awesome. We do plan to write a book about it. I want to I want to I want to hear her version of the story about 
<laughs> it, it, I tried for saving time to, to go past some things. But one thing that she always calls out is when I did call after her brother introduced or said that she's been asking about me, it was like 11 o'clock at night. She did not pick up. She right. was like, those booty call hours. I'm not that kind of girl. <laughs> I always somehow seem to not throw that part in. You know, I guess it doesn't make me look good. But she always remembers to add that part. That's awesome. That's great, though. That's, you're not going to put up with that, right? Like, that's really good. Cool. Nah, so, that kind uh, of girl. Sam, you know, this has been fun, man. Thank you so much for, for you know, diving in on a lot of topics around customer success and sharing your story and sharing your passions. Um, I assume the easiest place for people to get a hold of you is on LinkedIn? For now, um, I got to be honest, LinkedIn is definitely not on the high priority. Um, right. This year has been a very big year. New job with Cellpoint. We right. bought our first home, and we're expecting our first child, July twenty uh, seventh. Thank you. So it's been very busy. So yes, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. I will do my very best to interact with you. But send me a personalized message. You know that way you'll catch my attention, and I'll be more, you know, prone to reach back out. Absolutely, they gotta earn it. So we love it. Thank you so much, Sam. And, and a big thanks also to our, to our sponsor, Salesforce Sales Cloud, as well as um, uh, Lead411 and Gong.io, the game changer in conversational intelligence. Right? Isn't that right, Scott? That's right. That's right. It's a must, must have for every sales leader, isn't it? There you go. Yeah. Sam, thanks so much, man. We really appreciate you being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks, Sam.